The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Today's guest is an amazing near-death experiencer from Monterey, Mexico. Ana Cecilia Gonzalez is an attorney, teacher, businesswoman, and public speaker, and she has two children, Ana Paula and Danielle. Ana has served as president of the Spanish Committee of Spiritual Awakenings International, as well as one of its council members. She has also worked for children with heart conditions. Ana Cecilia herself was born with a congenital heart condition, with a very bad prognosis. Doctors said she would not live past age eight, yet she inexplicably survived. She had repeated encounters with what she called a death ghost, but later found out it was an angel taking care of her. She never talked about this until she wrote her book, When Life is Not Forever, in 2015. Anna will be sharing her unusual NDE story with us, including how she died from respiratory and cardiac arrest, went to the other side, made it back to life, and was cured from her lethal condition by two angels. Ana Cecilia, welcome to NDE Radio. Hello. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for having me here. Well, it's marvelous that you're able to be here. I, I, it's a miracle that you survived all that you went through, and it's wonderful that you're on our show. Ana, you were born with a complicated congenital heart problem, a transposition of the great vessels, so the oxygenated blood went to the wrong place. And you had just one single ventricle, and they expected you were only going to live for a few years, die around eight or nine years old. That's right. There was no, there was no, uh, there was no surgeries by that time. There was nothing they could do for patients like me. Mm. So nowadays, after my investigation, when I was going to write my book, I'm probably one of the only patients alive with that condition at my age, because all of them died. There was there was nothing to be done before I had my first surgery at 24. Hmm. Well, the photo of your parents at your baptism shows the concern on their faces. Yes, that's but, right. But then when your father told you about the doctor's warnings, he, he said to you, what if God has a different plan? Yes, I think that that was what made the big difference in me. Lee. Because for me, that was that was an option. Everything else was just like very negative and and I said, well, but but if what about if God has another plan, like my dad said? <laughs> so just by having that visualization of another possibility made me really, and I was really fell in love with being alive. Mm. I cherish life. Anna, you told me you were raised Catholic, but also with the Mexican belief that we keep our ancestors alive by remembering them and praying to them and even having an altar for setting out their favorite foods. It's an or- Oriental tradition as well. I was, I was surprised to learn that. Yes, yes. We've, I mean, that's the way we've been taught because we just don't want them to leave. And we believe that if you remember them and go visit them, them visit them when, where they were buried and you bring them beer or food or whatever they really enjoyed in life, mm-hmm. you're back with them. And they just don't leave, and they're with you all the time. So, yes, this was something that we always celebrate each year, and we even have an altar 
just we put pictures, just remembering them. Because for me, that, that means that we're remembering the best out of them. So we, we bring from them what they really left with us, which at the end is love, yeah. the love they, get, they left with us. You mentioned in your book that you named your blood Lucy. <laughs> why, why did you do that? Well, the thing, you know, when I was very, very, very tired, I was trying to keep up with my friends. When I went out and do the bicycle, I'm running, I'm playing, and I was extremely tired. And I just didn't want everybody to notice how purple I could become because of the lack of oxygen. I had around 70%, sometimes less oxygen to be working with all the time. So I, my lips turned red, I mean, uh, blue, just like my hands. So when I went uh, and lay down in bed and that was, it was, I didn't even know Lee, that uh, what we call meditation and breathing and all of these things that we, all of us know a lot about it. I didn't know anything, but I did it when I was a little girl. So I just lay down in my bed I started breathing and I started imagining my friend Lucy, which was the blood. So I, in my mind, I told her, just go to the lungs, Lucy, go and get oxygen and go back to the heart. But since there was always blood, blue blood mixed with red blood, I said, okay, just take your friends, go to the body, uh, to the rest of my body, and then come back again, Lucy. So I just imagined the way I helped her with my mind with my imagination for her to do all of this around so I could be purple. I mean, uh, so I could be pink again, come back to my color and go back to play. So what I just wanted is to go back to be a normal body and go back to play. So yes, I did this exercise constantly without even knowing that what I was doing is meditating and doing deep breathing to calm my body and to get back to my oxygen and mm. the levels I, I could go work with to play around. Now you had a special angel that you say probably was with you since birth and you called him uh, Raphael. Yes. Yes. Not knowing that there is an angel actually named Raphael. Do you think he taught you that meditative technique that worked so well for getting the you blood know, to circulate? That's very interesting that you mention it because there's a lot of things Lee that I did when I was a little girl that I didn't even know where did they come from. I just, I just did them. So yes, when I was, usually I saw this, what I call the ghost of death, because that's what we were taught when you're, when I mean, no, nobody told you that you could see angels or that you might see uh, a being of light. I mean, that's not something that was, was taught to us in our, in our religion, our traditions. So I, but yes, they do give us a lot of images about ghosts. So I said, this must be a ghost. So I do remember seeing him constantly when I was having a hard time breathing or when my health was was really at risk. So I do believe that there was a special communication, never talking, but always with our minds. And there were things that just came to my mind, like if somebody put them there and then I started doing things. So now that you mentioned that, I, I do believe that I, I was always guided because when I wrote my book and just going back to that, uh, when I interviewed my doctor for him to tell me, I wanted him to tell me what did he think was important for patients or for parents to know about that was really going to be an impact. And he said, no, 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 don't get it wrong. You have to tell us what we don't know. There was something there because nobody understands your survival. I made it till I was 24. 
without any surgery. There was nobody alive of my age without a surgery. And I even had a child by that age. By that age. Yes. So when he said that, I said, you're right. I mean, there's many things I have never told anybody that I'm sure I was being guided in many ways how to keep myself strong and safe. Well, you've drawn Raffles face many times, I guess, over your life. And uh, it's a beautiful picture, the one that I saw. Tell us about him and how you got to know him. Yes, you know, when I was a very little girl, probably four or five years old, I remember that usually when I was at the hospital, I I saw this amazing image, and I cannot say it was like a body or I don't know, but I knew there was, I, I believed it was a man, and I thought it was a ghost. And and I talked to him, and I said, you know, I don't want to leave yet. Don't take me away with you. I'm, I want to be okay, so I want to be here. So I remember having these discussions just with my mind. And in my heart, I just felt like if we smiled. like. But he was there. He was always standing there. And I closed my eyes, and I always saw this amazing green light. I didn't know what that meant until many years later. I was never taught really about archangels or nothing. I was not taught about that. That, that was not, even though I was born and raised in a Catholic church, these are things that were not really um, taught to us like some special, all these angels that were really around. I just saw him. So I do remember that when I was, I was very small, uh, probably seven or eight, I was playing because I knew I was very sick and I got tired. So I was laying in the grass, just laying there and then just like talking to him, playing. So what is it to be dead? I asked him, what is it? I mean, what, what, what did you do? So I started like having this conversation in my mind. So I, I started not to breathe. So I tried to contain my breath until I was not able to do it. And then I remember my little dog coming and just licking my face. And I said, okay, no, I'm trying to play death. Come on. <laughs> so there is where I, th- I, I understood that Rafael Donay, the way I named him, because in Spanish, Rafael is for a man and Rafaela is for a woman. So I just took off the vocal, the last vocal, and said Rafael, without knowing that Rafael meant in Catalan, in the Spanish uh, language, it meant the Archangel Rafael. I didn't even know that. Uh-huh. And I've named him like that all my life. So I call him Raffle, but, uh, you know, Lee, never telling anybody about him. So I met him and I, I knew that every time I was in danger, I was in the hospital or I was really lacking oxygen. He was always there. Mm-hmm. And I always felt his energy, his image there. So when I was a very little girl, I started drawing him. And just like you mentioned, every single notebook I had. Everyone, my sister can tell you that story. Everywhere I was just talking on the phone and I was drawing this, this image of him. And then when I, I started learning about this Archangel Raphael, I saw that there was a very similar image everywhere. And I have a lot of drawings I did about him through all of my life since I was, since I started writing, I guess probably sixth or seventh grade. I mean, Seven years old, I started doing this. So yes, everywhere I, I draw him and I didn't know, I was just bringing him to a physical face of someone that had always always been around me. You've said that when you were cold, he would come and 
wrap himself around you and warm you. Even one time when you were horseback riding and he was on another horse or on your horse? Yes, I, I felt he was. I was riding. And this is a very interesting story. I was riding in a in a ranch with a friend. We were probably nine years old. We were each one in a horse that we were just uh, traveling. I mean, we were riding slowly, but it was so cold that I was my body was not able to warm up by itself. I was all my fingers were so cold. I felt they were going to fall. I was absolutely purple. And I was just like that, the horse trying to warm myself. And I saw him like riding on a horse on my right. So I felt all of this energy around me. And my friend was just looking at me. And she said, okay, let's go, let's go, because you're not looking good. And then I felt him like telling me, just hold on, hold on. You're almost there. You're almost there. And I felt this, this uh, energy surrounding me till I got to the to the cabin and my friend's mother grabbed me and she said, she's not good. So she, she hugged me. I mean, she carried me to the fireplace and put a lot of blankets and just trying to warm me up. And, and finally I, I came back. She was very frightened, but at that image, I just perfectly remember him coming with me and hugging me. And I felt this energy and the, the other, and I felt another time when I was, Every time I went into the pool, I loved swimming. But every time I came out, I couldn't warm up by myself. It was it was very difficult. So I just covered myself with a blanket and laid down in the grass or in the floor, wherever there was sun to try to warm me up. And and I I even remember once that was one probably one of the uh, out of the body experiences that I never told before. I could see my I went out of my body and saw myself in the towel and I was just really, really, I, I was like going through an hypothermia and I could feel this warmth until one, when that moment my father came and he knew I was going through a hard time and he just hugged me. And then I, 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 I mean, I remember coming back. Okay. So here's my dad. So I think I went through a lot of things that I never really had an explanation and you don't talk about them. You just feel like if everybody goes through that. Mm-hmm. And that, there was things that I never talked about. But yes, Raffle was with me all around my journey. He has been, he still is around me. You also said that you had perhaps hundreds of out-of-body experiences. You know, we talk about near-death experience. And when your body was that cold, you were probably, because of the circulation problem, very near death. And yes. those times might have been the times that triggered your out-of-body experiences. Talk a little about that. You said you would fly up and away and you went to different places. Yes, you know, since I was a little girl, and this is the first time I talk about this, I just, in my mind and in my dreams, there were different moments, mostly when I was very sick or when I was really, like you were saying, almost like in a hyperthermia, I just stood very still. And I felt in my in my body that I just got out and I started flying. I just had to move my legs. Of course, this was not physical, but in my mind, and it was so real for me that I just went flying to many different places. I was always very, very attractive, very attracted to all of these different cultures and traditions and religions. And I just didn't understand why is it that there were so many people dressed in different ways so many 
different churches or synagogues or uh, Islam and all these different places. And I was always very intrigued by that. So I felt like I went to these places and I talked to people and I said, well, they're just like, like us. It's, it's all about love. So I understood that since, since I was a little girl and that it was very difficult for me when people said, no, if you're not following this religion or this way, you're wrong and you're not going to have salvation and you're not. So it didn't make any sense to me because when I went through to these travelings, just moving my legs and traveling with a lot of people, it didn't make sense because I felt in my heart, I don't know if there were spirits, I don't know if there were people that had passed, but I knew that I was with a lot of different people in different traditions, different cultures, and they all felt like loving people. So I said, I don't feel threatened by any of those people. Why? Why do we as human race feel so threatened about everybody else that's different from us? So this is the first time I tell this, Lee, but yes, it was many different travelings I had in my dreams. And when I was very sick, I just closed my eyes and I could just go. What I did is like I closed my eyes. And for me, meditating, it was very easy since I was a little girl. I just saw this. I closed my eyes and then I said, like, if I went inside a spiral, like and like a circle moving around, and I just went through there and like a tunnel, I don't know. And then I appeared someplace else. So it was like traveling in a very easy way. And well, but yes, I've, I've never talked about this with anybody. But they were just amazing adventures or uh, uh, experiences that really made my life different. And I just felt that there was no such thing as death. Everybody was around. So yes, it was a whole big experience doing that. Do you suppose Raffle had a hand in where you went and who you met and how you communicated with them because you didn't speak all those different languages? No, I didn't. And I do think that he had a very interesting way to connect me with, because you know, you don't need a language to communicate with with love. It was and and on the other hand, I could understand everything. So yes, I think Raffle was someone that I felt special just knowing that I had him there. And well, I've never thought about that, but yes, I'm sure that he was traveling with me all the time whenever I went because I never felt afraid. And never in my life I felt I just felt like flying was something everybody was able to do. I, I was something so natural for me that, well, maybe, yes, Raffle was always there with me, guiding me where to go. Yes. When you first told me about this, I thought, well, perhaps these weren't uh, living imams and rabbis, but those who already were deceased and met with you in, in some holy place to talk about the oneness of yes. things. Yes, because, you know, once I tell you about my near-death experience, I think that my after effects, some of them have been precisely getting in contact with a lot of people that have passed and I've received a lot of messages. So, so yes, I guess that this, this was part of something that I've, I've, I've had, I've developed this ability to communicate with people because what I believe that happened to me, and this is something that a lot of people can tell you is that I always felt myself very different from my friends. I felt that I that I cherish life in a different way. I felt like people talked a lot about fearing 
many like different cultures or different religions or even different prayers or and I never felt that and when I was in my first surgery one of the things before my my near-death experience one of the things I made sure is that I didn't put that I was a Catholic why because when you put in when you're in you're admitted in the hospital they ask you that so I didn't put anything why because I wanted everybody to come in just to say if they could come and pray for me. And I would love to meet a lot of people. And it happened that way, exactly that way. Yeah. Yes, I was very interested about that. And you grew up, you got married, you had a daughter, but then you got pretty sick and doctors wanted to do surgery on you. That's yeah. when the near-death experience occurred. So tell us about all of that. Yes, you know, I when I got married, I... I just didn't know when, and I, I got married knowing that maybe I could die soon. There was still no surgery. There were still no, no uh, possibilities. But then I miraculously got, got pregnant. It was something I really desired, but it was not something I was really planned. So I'm sure that I got pregnant in a very unusual way. I mean, I, I, mean, I probably had uh, my period in a different, it was, something that not even doctors understand. I was ovulating in another time because I was not really risking my life because I knew it was a whole risk. But then, and on the other hand, I was so happy to know that I could get pregnant. So when I finally got pregnant, doctors said, oh God, this is crazy. And they even asked me, so you know that your life is at much risk. So what will you do if your life is risked? Are you going to choose yourself or your daughter? So my husband was there and he said, of course, her. And I said, no, no, no. This is my decision. Of course, my baby. I've already lived enough and I'm going to die soon. Let me have a baby. So it was a crazy decision then. But, you know, I got up to a term, eight months and a half, and she was born four pounds. She was a very little girl, but absolutely perfectly healthy. She was a perfect little girl. So it was a miracle. It was a blessing. But what happened after she was born is that my heart now was in big trouble because he had gone through so much effort. And uh, when I was 15, just before that, before I got married and everything, I was told when I went to the when I went to the hospital because I had a uh, endocarditis. And I was told that there still was no surgery for me, but that maybe in 10 years there was going to be a surgery. So what they recommended then, when I was 15, they said, please don't get married. Forget about having sex. Forget about getting pregnant. And in my mind, in that rebellious mind of a 15-year-old, I said, wait a minute, but th this is a death sentence. And I was the only one really knowing English in my family, my my mother was there and she didn't understand a lot of English. And for me, that was the first time I had control over my own decisions because my mother was not there in that conversation. So the, the title of my book in that chapter is I Lied. Because when my mother came to me and asked, what did the doctor say? I said, nothing. They said I could go on with my life with no problem. But let me tell you widely, because I believe that in my mind, my parents had let me dream about the future. So in my mind, I had already seen, I had seen myself married. I'd seen, I'd seen myself with a family. I had seen myself working. I had seen myself as a grown-up. So if all of that was in my mind, I had already, already visualized that. Maybe Raffles helped me with that. 
I said, this, this doctor is telling me something that I don't want to hear. So I said, no, I, okay, thank you very much, but I'm going to go on with my life. So I did. So I know I was a very rebellious, but I do think that I was very blessed because I did take very good care of my body and of my health. So when I got to the hospital, after all of this that I'm telling you, the first thing that the doctor said, come on, you have a C-section. How did you dare have a baby? And I said, well, I asked God and he gave her to me. So he said, oh, God, this woman is crazy. She doesn't know. And I then learned that they have never met someone alive and with a baby. So having me there, it was not only taking care of my life, but of a mother of a little baby. So that made all the difference. So it was a very serious condition I was in. They've never done this kind of a surgery in an adult. All of them were done now when they were five or six years old, but never have they had somebody 24 years old. And it it had just started precisely when they told me, probably one or two years before I got there. But they've never done it in someone like me. So when they did the surgery, they really made, they like, it was absolutely something new because it's very different to have a surgery on a child than to have it as an adult with all the organs all developed, everything's different. So they just made up something to try to keep me alive. So they, 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 it was a very difficult surgery. It lasted probably more than 10 hours. And I came out, I was alive, but it was getting better. And then is when I tell you that I started visiting a lot of priests and pastors and from the synagogue and Islam and a lot of, a lot of religions got in my room and they asked me that I wanted, they wanted them to pray for me. And I said, yes, come in. So uh, after that, after all this happened, something happened in my body that it was not responding. And so I got a lot of liquid around my heart and around my lungs that started accumulating. It was, it was a lot of fluids around my lungs and my heart that was accumulating there. So then my, my heart was not able to pump as easy. I was already in a private room when I said, you know, I can't breathe. And this started as an emergency. So they did a, a, an x-ray and an echocardiogram. And I say, you know, you need to go back to intensive care. So I went back and, and they knew I was serious. Something had, was developing in there. So next morning, what they did is they tried to take out all the, all the fluid from my, from around my lungs. But uh, this is not a, of course, every tragedy that I've had in my life, there's always a blessing behind it. So they, pinched my heart and they pinched it. So it started, it started bleeding. So they say, okay, Houston, we have a problem. Let's go to the emergency room. We need to have a surgery and urgent surgery. So in that moment that I was, that they told me, you know, we, we, you're bleeding. You need to sign all these papers. We, we, you are in a real emergency. Say, I mean, tell you, they called my parents and my husband just, say bye back to them. You have to sign a lot of this because we need to go back to surgery. So it was a big emergency. So in that moment, it was probably three minutes, five minutes, I don't know, till I get to the surgery room, I saw Raffle. And I remember telling him, oh, Raffle, long time no see. So I understood, I said, I'm dying, right? I think this is it. 
So I understood perfectly well how serious this was. And I remember asking God, okay, if this is it, I'm ready. It's okay. I'm with you. Just please take care of my daughter. Take care of my, of my parents and, and of my husband. Just take care of my family. But if there's a chance you could give me to stay here, I promise you I will, I will raise a beautiful child. I want to see her again. Just give me the chance of seeing her again. And then I, I started talking to Raffle. Everything in seconds. I said, Raffle, if you have any influence with God, just tell him that I promise I will return a beautiful young lady. But give me the chance to see her again. So I immediately went into the, into the surgery area. They put you there. It's very aggressive because it was an emergency. So I, they put my arms open. I had um, a, a big gown and they took off my gown. It was, it was a very aggressive moment. But the only thing I was thinking, God, give me a chance to see my daughter again. So they did the surgery. And after the surgery, I, was, I, I understood that I had not died because I was hearing everybody. But then they were saying, you know, it's poor lady. She's got a daughter and she's not going to make it. And I was like shouting, wait, but I'm listening. I'm not dead. I'm, I'm here. Wait, I didn't understand what was happening. So when I was in the intensive care unit, suddenly I, there was no air coming into my lungs because there was a phlegm. There was no, my, I had a respiratory arrest and, and a heart arrest. And, and I knew I was alive, but then I was in a lot of danger. So then in that moment, I felt there's where my real adventure started. Uh, so after this, I, I still remember because I was with my eyes open, my heart was not working on my, my lung, there was no oxygen. And I saw a lot of, a big team of people coming in, shouting respiratory, respiratory, she's not breathing. So I felt once all these electroshocks and they CPR, all that. And uh, there was several nurses trying to hold my legs because I was just moving, trying to breathe, trying to take away. They hold your hands so you don't take away your, because I was intubated. So I was just trying to, to take all these tubes and trying to liberate myself. And suddenly I was out of my body. And then I saw my body. There were all the doctors working with them. And then I just saw myself and I felt free. It was not, not hurting anymore. It was like if I was in, in the corner of that room, looking at doctors and everybody shouting and helping me. But then I was like, okay, it doesn't hurt anymore. I'm, I'm fine. And I started floating. So it was, I, I was not worried about them. I just knew they were there, but I knew I was very much alive. So I was not, not uh, suffering or going through anything anymore. So then is when my big adventure started. I felt like if I was inside a, a big tree, that's that's the way I imagined it. I don't know. You wanted to ask me something first. Uh, no, I just wanted to say that this is the one of the most unusual tunnel descriptions I've heard in all the years I've been doing interviews with folks about travel through the tunnel. Tell us about the tree. Yes, you know, I felt like if I suddenly I felt I was inside a tree because I saw a lot of branches. 
and you could see 360 degree. I could see just standing here. I could see everything around me. And I started floating. I just, uh, I had no control. I was just watching everything. And there was this big amount of branches all around. And I could see little animals. There were squirrels, rabbits, uh, all these beautiful little animals, all nature all around. I could just see them like in uh, beautiful nature. And they, they, they uh, inspired me a lot of, a lot of building and connection with them. I said, what a beautiful animals. And so I kept on floating. And then I saw another pair of a lot of branches with a lot of bigger animals, lions, tigers, elephants, giraffes. And I felt like if I could caress them and, and I was one with them. And there was the color I saw them was so different. It was very bright. All of this color where I could see nature, trees, water, everything was sounding. And, and I, it's like if I could communicate with them. And it's like they were smiling at me and we were, we were one. And before I started going on, I remembered my daughter. So I said, okay, I saw her. So I just had to, to want to be there. And then I saw her in a crib. And she was with my aunt Martha that I didn't even know she was with her. I didn't know where my daughter was by then. I mean, I was very in a very serious condition. So she took her to her home. I saw her in her crib with my aunt Martha. And I said, wow, she's with my aunt. And she's okay. So I said, thank you. I saw her again. And she's fine. So for me, there was no attachment to her. I saw she was doing okay. And then I thought, I thought about my parents. And I saw them in the recover, I mean, in the waiting room, praying a rosary. And they were doing that. I, I then acknowledged that all of this was true. Was, true what, and, was this before you started into the tree? No, I was already in there. You were, but you, you d- doubled back to see, to check on your family. Yes, it was just like if everything was happening at the same time. Ah. There, was, there was no time. It's just like suddenly I could, the moment I, I thought about someone, I was there. And I could be connected with everything at the same time. So I saw my parents doing that. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to describe this because it's like what I'm telling you, I'm telling you like in a sequence, but it's not really a sequence. It's like everything's happening, but I'm just trying to put it like in a way to describe everything I was seeing. And then I saw my brother and sisters, what they were doing, they were at work and, and I just felt that peace, a lot of peace, because I knew they were going to be all right. I didn't really understand where I was, but I knew I was very alive and I was enjoying this journey very much. Did they seem to be part of the tree? Yes, I think they were, they were part. I think everybody was part of this tree. It was like everything was one. I, I feel that I, I just had a, a, an image of of what we all are in one single tree. It's like the tree of life. I don't know. I've never thought about it that way. But yes, it was, I I didn't feel separate from them. I just felt that we were just in different dimensions or in different frequencies, but we were all one. It's just, we, we were all part of each other. 
Did you feel the animals you saw were connecting with you? Were they intelligent beings as well? Yes, that's a very good question because after I had this experience, I felt very different about animals. I felt they're just such a beautiful creation, just as we are. And we we're here all together. We're not in their planet. They're not in our planet. It's everybody's planet. So we have to learn how to interact because we're all part of the creation. And my respect to our animals, and for example, I do eat meat, and I know a lot of people think about this, but what, what happened to me is that I understood what my parents did all my life, just being grateful and giving thanks before we eat. And then I understood, like, thanking them for giving their lives so others can nourish. And this happens with all the animals. I mean, they eat each other. We eat plants because even plants, there's a lot of respect that I had after this experience with plants, with fruits. And that then is when I understood how important it is to give, be grateful for your food, for the people, for everything, because uh, someone is giving like a little sacrifice so others could be alive. But it's, it's out of free will that you're... That's the way I feel it. Yes, that's a very interesting question because my perception for animals changed completely. My respect for the way I treated humans and animals changed completely. And you said you rose up through the tree like a balloon. Yes, I was just <laughs> floating. I could just feel floating like a balloon that had no... I, I couldn't just say, I want to stop here and be here because everything was happening at the same time. So... I kept on floating, and then I saw a lot of branches again with little children. And as I was telling you the other day, I'm describing things with the information my human mind has. So I'm not sure there were children as as physical children, but as souls. And they were just probably the, the maturity of the soul because I couldn't tell that they were. I could see that they were just playing around. But if you ask me, they had hands, they had faces, they got, I don't know, but I just know they were children and they were alive and they were enjoying life and they were happy there. And they were in this beautiful valley and they were all just hanging around with each other. And I felt welcomed. I feel like we were part of my, they were part of my family. So I just kept on floating and I then saw more branches with young people like us. <laughs> Younger people like like you and I and like many of the ones that are watching us before being an elder people. Uh, and and I saw this this beautiful piece and and everything was so so congruent, so uh, uh balanced, everything was very balanced, and everybody was welcoming me because you could see that they had this big smile like like welcome, welcome home. And I, I was just, I just felt like if all of these people that I didn't know before were my family. So I felt very welcome with a lot of peace. And I, there was a, a lot of, I don't, I don't know the words, but it's like ecstasy. It was like, pleno, uh, I don't, plentiful. You know, I always, and I started feeling this uh, trembling, this little tingling in my hands when I tell this story because it's very difficult to put words to a spiritual experience. So what I'm trying to do is just with my human information, give you 
the explanation of what I saw, but it was whole. What I feel is that everything was complete, it was, everything was balanced, and I felt part of it. And it was the most beautiful, loving experience I've ever lived. So I kept on floating. I saw another branch with elder people, but I, I mean, there was things that somebody asked that I could detect. There were, there were no wheelchairs. There were no one, no one was having a hard time uh, with health or anything. There were all, everybody was very much alive. I, I, I do, I do want to take you back to the children for a second because yeah, sure. You said something about uh, there was splashing water from a cascading fountain in the center of the garden. Yeah. So you're looking out at the branches of a tree, but each branch must have contain a complete scene. A complete scene. It was, it was uh, waterfalls, fountains, trees, people. There were gardens. It was. Absolutely a big, big scenery. I don't know uh, in English, but there's this movie that's called uh, Miracles in Heaven that is from uh, Derbez. Miracles from Heaven? From Heaven, in Heaven, something like that. Yes. So uh, if everybody, anybody that watches that movie, I cried with it because when they had this near-death experience, Everything that she explained, this little girl went through a near-death experience, Mm. was very similar to what I went through. You could see this beautiful valley full of waterfalls and lakes and rivers and children splashing. So it was just like here, it's over there, but just everything's bright, everything's full of colors. Mm. And you yourself, did you feel uh, comfortable and calm and, and loved? I feel very loved, very loved. I felt, I th- I don't think, Lee, I've ever felt so such an unconditional love as I felt there. I felt love for the animals and from the animals. I felt love for the children and from the children. It was like, it was love. The, the, the whole experience, I could explain it with love because there was everything surrounding around was, was loved. And I, I felt this embracement. That's why I, that's what I'm trying to explain to you, what I felt with Raffle. This embracement is what I felt here. It was like I was embraced with all of these sceneries, the, the children, the older people and the, the elders. Mm-hmm. And w- they were all welcoming me. And it was a whole beautiful love experience that I've never in my life experienced again. But the most interesting part of this beautiful experience is that it was, I, I had enough with that. I mean, I was exhausted. Ex, ex, I don't know the word. And it's, it's a, I mean, it was so beautiful. There's, there's not a word, but it's ecstasies. I was, I was just feeling uh, absolutely in the best uh, experience I've ever had. But then since I was floating, I was just trying to find out what else, what was I going to see? So there was this, little circle it was a very light yellow and i knew there was something there when i was just floating i couldn't control it but i did want it to go in there so when i went in just imagine like if you enter there's closed doors and suddenly you open them and there's this big hurricane or amount of air and and uh, electricity and then you just feel uh, i mean all of it comes in you and you breathe and you feel full and whole. 
So I just felt all of this electricity surrounding me. And I didn't know what I was. I couldn't see. But there was this beautiful white light surrounding me and embracing all of my body. So I was, it's like if I was stuck there, I, I couldn't go any further. I was there in the place. And I felt, I don't think that I've ever, I've ever felt such a beautiful, unconditional love as I felt there. Because I couldn't see things there, but I, I felt a hand. It was like if I was part of everything. I felt a hand in my head, on my head. And I heard these beautiful words that I still listen to them in my mind that said, stay calm and go in peace and do everything I've told you. And at that moment, I said, well, wait, I wanted to ask questions. I wanted to, <laughs> to stay there. I wanted, wait, 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 wait. And then I started going back to all these same stages and felt this, the, the moment I went back to my body. The first thing that I heard was, and these things that they put in movies like, beep, 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 that's true. I heard that. And the doctor saying, she's back. And I said, where am I back? I don't want to be here. So the interesting thing here, Lee, is that the first thing that happened to me is that I was very angry. I was so angry because I thought these are such selfish doctors. They want to have me here. And I, I didn't know I was dying. I thought I was sleeping. And they just want to wake me up. I just go on back to sleep. So I went back into another heart arrest, another respiratory. So they were struggling me with a, a long time. And then I heard their shouting, she's leaving. Come, let's do CPR again. So it was all these shoutings. And I had a very, very difficult time understanding that I was dying because I I mean, I was dying in my body, but I felt very much alive. So the only thing I wanted is to go back to that place to see what's next. I mean, why Why did you interrupt this, this beautiful dream, I thought. So I was very angry at the doctors. I just thought, and in my mind, it was because all of my body started in circles. I was just feeling like everything was uh, circles all around and around because of the lack of oxygen. And I was just trying to understand why do they want to wake me up if I'm having such a hard time going back to sleep? So then after, I mean, there's, there's a doctor that helped me investigate. It took them about 40 minutes to stabilize me. I went back and forth in many moments. So I must have been probably two or three minutes flat and then came back and then went back. And it was, uh, they, they had this record that it was for a long period of time until they had me stabilized. So when they finally did, I remember I was, uh, they, they started awake. I mean, they, they, I was awake and I was, I was allowed to have a pen to write. And I asked them, where was I? What, what happened? And of course, they're not going to give you answers because they don't know. And they said, you're in the hospital. You're okay. You went through a very difficult moment, but but you're here, you're safe, you're okay now. And I was like, no, 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 you're not getting it. I was someplace. I know I, 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 I did go. So it's very confusing because nobody gives you explanations. So I remember next morning that I was very, very sickly. Doctors, I was awake. They told my husband and my parents that I had 
uh, staphylococo. That's uh, do you know the word in English? Uh, uh, a, a staph infection. A staph infection. It was a very serious condition. They said yeah. she's. It's all over her body now. So we don't think she's gonna make it. Please just say bye to her. Anything you have to solve, solve it now, because I, we don't think she's gonna make it. So when doctors came that day to me, when they were telling my parents she's gonna pass soon, I don't think she'll make it two or three more days. They asked me, how do you feel? And I was still with my arms all hung and intubated. And I said, very strong. And they what they said is, you know, I think this affected her mind. I don't think she's okay. But I was really inside, I was just feeling so strong. So they told my, my parents and my husband, I think that the lack of oxygen affected because she's not answering, uh, she's not being congruent because I was just saying that I was feeling very good. But yes, I had just gone through an amazing experience. I didn't know I was so sick and I was really, really sick. So uh, uh, miraculously, I, I was kept alive. I, in my heart, I knew I was going to live, but my body was very, very, very sick. So it was not until one month later in intensive care that I had this amazing experience with two angels that were the ones that really healed my body. So what, what happened is that um, I, I before going to that, I remember being very sick and doctors came to my husband and to my parents and they told him, you know, she's, her body is not responding as it should. It's very difficult for her to... I mean, you were just keeping her alive. I mean, I was, I was at moments, I was aware, and then I just went back to sleep. But I remember when my husband was there once or twice, that doctors came to visit me and they said, you know, you really are very sick. We were going to keep you in intensive care for a little more. And I just said, okay, I, I'm okay. I, I'll wait. And then they said, well, you know, you're the most patient patient we've ever had. Because you say, okay, I'll wait. And then when they went out, they asked my husband, please come. And I told my husband, no, don't you dare go out. Because they're going to tell you I'm going to die and I'm not going to die. I don't need you to go back and hear terrible news and then come back with a very sad face. I need you to believe in me. I remember that, telling that to him two or three times. And my husband just went, no, I can't go out. She doesn't allow me because I knew they were going to give him bad news. Yeah. I had to keep the faith in me and in the people around me. But it was your sister, wasn't it, who was with you when uh, the angels came? Tell us That's about right. that. That's right. So then my sister was visiting me one day. And, you know, I had been with my husband uh, a month and a half earlier than that. And uh, so this is something that I'm not going to ruin because if one of you wants to read the book, you read the details. But for some reason, I thought, I was pregnant because I was throwing up and throwing up. So since I was in a children's hospital, they had never had an adult like 24 years old. They didn't know anything about what could be taking care of an adult. Mm-hmm. So they, they, uh, I was throwing up some days. Is there any chance you could be pregnant? And I said, well, I don't know. How can I be pregnant? Because, because I've been here. And then I said, well, I don't know, really. It could be just before I got into the hospital. So then I started crying and crying. My sister was there. And I told her, you know, I need you to sing a song for me. 
because I'm really struggling right now. So she started singing this song that was about hope. And that was, it was this beautiful song. And I was just crying and she was just there with me. And I remember looking at, at uh, heaven and telling God, you know, I need you to heal me. I'm, 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 I mean, if I am pregnant, thank God I was not. But if I am, I just imagine what is this baby going to be about if I have, I've already gone through, through two surgeries, a lot of medicines. I mean, just, just please heal my body. I know I'm going to be alive, but I just needed to. It was a beautiful prayer. And I was just looking at the sky, I mean, the ceiling. And at that moment, my sister was there and she was looking at me when I was doing this prayer. And then she looks at me when I just go looking at my right and then at my left. And then I see these two beautiful, like, uh, lights because I, I, I didn't see wings or things, but I knew they were, they were spiritual beings. They were beings of light. So I called them angels. And they were just coming one on one side and another one on the left. And they started healing me. They started going to all my head and my arms. And then my sister saw that when I was just looking at my body, looking at what they were doing, because I was feeling it. And I just saw them go through all of my body. And I, I, I then went back to sleep for about eight hours. Yeah. I went into a complete sleep and rested like I never had. So my sister had left by then. So when I woke up, they told me, uh, you know, thank God you're not pregnant. You're not, you're doing much better. And you know, Lee, what I had to do every day was using this machine that you had to breathe just to recuperate your, your oxygenation and your lungs because they were really having, they were with fluids. They were having a hard time. So crying was one of the biggest blessings I've ever had because I really recuperated my lungs amazingly after I had cried. So it was just, nothing was a coincidence that, that day, you know. I needed to cry, to breathe deeply. I did the exercise, that, like if I had done it for a week, just in one hour, I did it with all this crying. So that day after, I mean, next morning after I woke up, and this was probably one of the biggest confirmations I had about my experience. Because next morning, this, well, there was this friend, someone that I had not spoken to her for years, probably 10 years, and she knew about my condition. So she decided to call me because she had dreamed about me that night. That night after, just after I had my experience, and she said, I need to talk to Anna. But she said, you know, there's no access to her room. We, you know, the, the way the telephones worked at that time with this long cord that they had to take all the way to the room because that was back then. So they, they, they say, you know, there's a friend of yours that she says it's urgent. She needs to talk to you. And I said, okay. So I was, I was just like the bionic woman full of liquids and full of connections all around my body. So they put the phone because I couldn't even hold it. And she said, Anna, Anna Cecilia, I just want to tell you that I know you're going to be okay. Because last night I had a dream and I saw two angels coming down and healing your body. They went all around you. And I was, if I would have been able, I would have jumped out of the bed. And I told her, but I, I went through that yesterday. 
And my, my, my sister was there with me and she saw me. I mean, it was just connecting everything. So that was a big confirmation for me. And after two days of that, I was out of the intensive care. I went to the regular room and five days later, I was out of the hospital. So it was just an amazing healing that I know these beautiful angels did on my body. I know we are just about out of time, but I wanted you to talk a little about some of the gifts that you received from your NDE. You had dream messages and also uh, OBEs. Yes. Uh, What has happened to me after that is that I started dreaming a lot. I've I've now in in my possession about more than 100 dreams that I've written down. At the beginning, I was afraid of them because I didn't understand why was I dreaming about people that had already passed, but they were giving me messages. And then I had information through these dreams about I dreamt about people being pregnant. And then I found out they were about people getting married. And then I found out they had they were just planning a wedding. So I started getting a lot of information about things that had happened and that were happening and that were going to happen. So it's, again, it's like there's no time, but I was having an, the ability. So at the beginning, I got scared because I didn't understand. So then I started sharing them. And one of the first one was one of my dearest friends that had passed when I was a very young, uh, we were about 20 and he had, he had leukemia, leukemia. And he came to me in my dreams and said, you know, I'm fine, but I need you to go and tell my parents I'm okay. And I said, I remember telling him, Jorge, but, but are you real? Are you really here? And he said, yes, yeah, you need to talk to David, which was another friend, and tell him that I'm okay with him, that he doesn't have why to suffer, that we're dear friends. And go and tell my parents that every time they're walking by the river, I'm walking with them. And it didn't make sense. So I risked my life. I mean, it risked for the first time I risked it. And then I talked to my friend's wife. And I said, you know, I had a dream with David, your husband, and with Jorge, that was a mutual friend. And then she said, you need to talk to David because he cries every night because he was not able to go to Jorge's, um, to visit Jorge when he was dying because he was so afraid of seeing him before he died. So he feels that he was a bad friend. I didn't know anything about this. So when I talked to David, he said, he said, he started crying and he said, wow, yes, that was Jorge visiting you because nobody knew about this, that I was struggling about me not being a good friend. And then I said, and do you know anything about a river in Jorge's house? And he said, you know, his parents just moved to a, to a house that just by a river. We have to go visit them. And this was just three or four months ago. And I didn't know anything about the parents. I had never met the parents. So we went there, we told this to the parents and they were just, so there is where I started confirming that my dreams were something real. So I I then started writing them down and I've been having a lot of out of body experiences and a lot of after effects. One of the biggest ones was communications through my dreams. So yes, it, it has been a blessing and I've learned to cherish those dreams and to know how to share them with people because 
I have many, many dreams and many amazing stories that can tell you that, yes, humans, I mean, those these souls communicate with us in many, many ways. So there's no death. Nobody really dies. Oh, Anna Cecilia, sadly, we are out of time, but I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. It's an amazing story. And the Tree of Life is exactly the way I would describe the place you were during your NDE. Anna, tell the listeners how they might find your website or get a copy of your book, When Life is Not Forever. Yes, I, I have the, through Amazon, you can get it physically. I mean, Kindle or paperback, you can get it through Amazon. It's called When Life is Not Forever. I have a, a webpage that's called when life is, I mean, in Facebook webpage, when life is not forever. And also Instagram is the same, when life is not forever. I have my webpage, which is anacecilia.gonzalez.com. And you can find a lot of interviews and information there too. And of course, I have my YouTube channel, which is under my name, which is Ana Cecilia Gonzalez. And I have several English interviews there with different people that you might find interesting too. Thank you, Liz, so much for letting me share with your audience my experience. It's been a blessing and a gift for me. It's been a blessing for all of us to hear your story. So thank you. Thank you so much. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 470 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE radio Facebook page. Just search NDE radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.